0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast, where we highlight nonprofit innovators, leaders, and influencers every week that are changing the sector for the better. I'm your host, Delaney Mullenix, Executive Director of Nonprofit Hub. If you're not for profit and all for purpose, you're in the right place. You see, we know you're already doing good, but we've designed this podcast to help nonprofit professionals find growth, joy, and connection. So tune in weekly for new episodes to elevate your cause, spread the news, and share the resources we share with you.
1: We'd like to thank DonorBox for sponsoring today's episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. DonorBox is the online fundraising engine of choice for over 50,000 organizations in 96 countries. Their intuitive fundraising software was designed with your donors in mind. Go to DonorBox.org to sign up today. That's D-O-N-O-R-B-O-X dot O-R-G.
0: Hello, Nonprofit Hub. This is Delaney Mullinex, your host of the Nonprofit Hub radio podcast. Sarah Evans and I speak today about fixing nonprofit overhead problems from the inside out. Sarah Evans is the founder of a nonprofit called Well Aware, and she has worked to change the way water projects are executed and managed in developing regions of the world, specifically in East Africa. And she has built a team of staff and volunteers who implement and advise on projects that are realistic and lasting um, through strategic partnerships, true community involvement, and empowerment, and all the while not playing victim to the overhead stereotypes of nonprofit organizations. She is the author of a Forbes article titled Why the Nonprofit Sector is Broken and How to Start Fixing It. Highly recommend you guys check that out after tuning in to this episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast. Sarah, thanks so much for being here with us today.
2: I am delighted to be here and really excited about the conversation.
0: So, can you tell everyone a little bit more about WellAware and what you guys have been up to?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so WellAware is an international nonprofit based in Austin, Texas, but doing work in East Africa. And I started the nonprofit um, about 15 years ago. Um, and we've been doing this work on the ground um, in Kenya and Tanzania uh, for the past 13 years. We did our first water project in January 2010. And so I did not. Uh, come from a world of non-profit nor was I trained or educated in this space. I was a lawyer but I was asked to join a project to help raise some funding for some livestock in this village in Kenya because it's their main source of livelihood and Kenya was experiencing one of their most significant droughts and I thought well yeah I definitely want to get involved and I wanted to learn more and I learned so much more <laughs> that I discovered that the root cause of the issue issue with the livestock um, was water. It was a lack of access to a reliable source of clean water. And the deeper I started to dig into this um, into this problem, I realized that it wasn't just the livestock that was that were suffering and and having an impact on the community's overall economy. It was everything. It was disease rates. It was gender inequality. Um, it was a lack of nutrition. And so I I. I proposed at the time that we, um, instead of raising money for cattle and goats, why don't we raise money to drill a well? And um, we had no idea what we were doing, but we did. We raised uh, money through our very first really weird, but we still do it, fundraiser called the shower strike. We raised enough for that first well. We flew to Kenya and uh, we we got really, really lucky because it went really, really well. And I say that because on that first trip, I also uh, I realized that largely uh, this kind of work, infrastructure in developing regions, um, is pretty unsustainable. And I was seeing mm-hmm. broken systems all over the place. And so I I decided a whole lot on that on that one trip to oversee the first water well. I decided that I wanted to spend my life doing this kind of work and drop everything and make some pretty big sacrifices oh. to do that. Um, and I also wanted to figure out how to crack the code on uh, creating infrastructure in these regions that would truly last a long time, the, the way that we, we promise that they will. Yeah. And so um, we have scaled and increased project capacity and team over time. And in recent years, even launched a for-profit uh, company that is it's an app and it, it helps communities troubleshoot and maintain their water systems to further that longevity um, and it's also set up as a for-profit so we can take in investment dollars and scale better and become a source of revenue for the nonprofit.
0: Well, um, I that. that's one of like, the big problems that, um, and we'll get to the article that you you wrote for Forbes um, about what's broken in the nonprofit sector, but the lack of being able to provide return to investors, um, Dan Pelota says, is like one of the biggest, yep. um, like, I don't know, faults of the nonprofit sector.
2: It is. I think Pulit is our champion right now. Um, It it, it is a very uh, big fault, one of of a few.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I have so many, I have so many questions. So you weren't ever trained in, you said you weren't trained in nonprofit management as a lawyer. I mean, how was that coming from the private sector into the nonprofit sector?
2: You know, honestly, it was a, it was a, it was a relief. And I say that because my my soul and my heart never really fit into, to the path I had created for myself. I think I I knew the challenges I would have ahead of me. Well, not entirely, because then I became a single mother and that sort of made some things even more interesting. Yeah. But I was just relieved to be doing something that, that made sense uh, for me, for my heart and my skill set. And that I knew that I could probably be good at. So it was an adjustment, but one that I was, I was more than ready to go through.
0: Yeah, of course. I always, I always said when I started working in the nonprofit sector and started kind of making my network more full of people who are working in the nonprofit space, I felt like at home, like that's literally how I felt. Yeah. Um, That's nice. Yeah. A bunch of good people. Yeah. Okay. One other question. What is a shower strike?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked. Um, (laughs) Because uh, it, you know, in the, in the early days, I knew I knew nothing about fundraising, and uh, but a group of us were sitting on my floor talking about how we were going to raise twenty five thousand dollars for this first water well, um, and because I was working from home at the time, way before we had to, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and somebody said, uh, you know what, we should all go on shower strike because Sarah doesn't shower anyway. never been a big fan I guess and we laughed a lot but we thought well you know what we're in Austin Texas you know we we pride ourselves on being weird yeah pretty good network so I was coding buttons in PayPal and sending links to friends and so we had our friends say you know to their friends and family I'm not going to take a shower again until I raise this goal I've set for myself toward this water project and lo and behold a week later we had raised the full amount so we still do it uh, now every every year we do the shower strike and now it raises about a half a million dollars every year that's amazing it's fun That's <laughs> a great story it's really fun um, ShowerStrike.org, if any of your listeners are interested in finding out about more
0: that's great I um I went to a I went to an event a couple of weeks ago about tried to true components of successful events and what you did was actually like a very tried to true component of like a successful event one of the things that she emphasized the most out of anything that you could possibly do for an event, like your outcomes, like she said, it's not about how much money you raise. It's about moving your donors to the next part of like the donor cycle. So like connecting them further to your mission. So like you can do like golf fundraisers, you can do galas, you can do all this amazing stuff where you might be able to make a lot of money, Mm -hmm. but if the programming doesn't connect people to what your mission is about, then your event failed, like whether or not you raised money. Yep. So your fundraiser was 100% connected to not having water. And so yes, perfect. Like what you did was great.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that feedback. Yeah, we we like it a lot. And we found that, you know, classrooms like it a lot because kids are rolling to not having to take a shower. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, It's, it's a nice, you know, fun way to introduce people to a cause that they might otherwise not pay attention to.
0: Yeah. Well, for women, it's more complicated. We can't always just shower whenever we want like men because we have to think about our hair. So,
2: right. (laughs) So much dry shampoo.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I loved the, um, I heard someone told me this one time and it might be like a myth, but someone, I, someone lived in Chicago when they were a little bit younger, maybe in their early twenties. And they said that Chicago has like a blackout day where they don't let anyone use like electricity and everyone it's like, basically like lights out. And like the amount of energy and the electricity they save in one day just from like the city of Chicago. Yeah. The energy was like nuts. And then I tried to talk to a couple other people about it because I just, I was so intrigued and I like wanted to know what that was like when people were living in the city. And like, no one knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> like, it has to have
2: happened. So, uh, that wasn't oh. a big thing.
0: That yeah. sounds like a great idea though. What and good perspective talking? too. <clears throat> yeah. And it's just like, it's like togetherness, you know? Um, like everyone is living without electricity that day yeah yeah Um, Yeah. uh, I mean not to like celebrate the need for like energy savings but like it's kind of feels like a holiday like it's just something special like something novel that you don't get to do every day yeah
2: like you can make it fun too you know and and at the same time think about um you know how fortunate we are that we do have electricity and running water yeah yeah of course
0: well, to help us, I love asking kind of like maybe some obscure questions um, because I love hearing about your professional background and everything like that. But we really want to get to know you. So I want to know who is the most famous person you've ever met and tell me the story of how you met them.
2: Okay. I love this question. Um, and it's the, the most well-known person. Um, and I I got to meet Barack Obama, but twice. Wow. I, I know it's crazy. I, I, I So the first time I got to meet him was a very long time ago. I was working for a law firm in Austin, but doing some lobbying work. And I met him at an event uh, while he was raising money to run for Senate um, and just very charismatic and realized over the years that it was really cool that I got to meet him. Yes. And <laughs> There's a part two. So um, more than like a decade and a half later, um i uh we've done some work with his with his sister Alma Obama in Kenya, and oh, wow. she had invited uh, me to one of her openings, and he was there and I went up to him and I said, Hey, you know i I'm, I'm sure you do not remember me, but I met you way back when he said, How could I forget that face? Um. <laughs> and he was. Not telling the truth, but I thought <laughs> like
0: you said, charismatic, and I think that is the right word for
2: yeah, yeah. It was just yeah, it was not not ever going to forget that moment. It was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, well, that's amazing. And how cool that you got to like work with his daughter and get involved.
2: Yeah, um, amazing. She she does a lot of really uh, incredible work in Kenya. We've been able to be a part of it.
0: Cool. Well, I know today we're talking obviously about the success that you've had with Well Aware, but I love that that you became, you know, somewhat passionate about how the nonprofit sector and how organizations are functioning might be dysfunctional mm-hmm. and like kind of having that perspective of like coming from the outside in and like seeing what was happening. Tell me more about that in the the article that you wrote for Forbes.
2: Yeah, you know, and I will say I think I'm just wired in a way that I don't I don't like to have to do something just because it's the way it's been done. I don't, I don't like that, and I, I, I do think that that's carried through into our philosophy as an organization and, and both companies really, uh, and why we have such a high success rate in our implementation work because we really want to figure out how it can work better. And after a few years in the nonprofit space, we, we really sunk in that we're not doing it the way that it could be done to actually have a really big impact. And so um I, I think I'm not sure exactly where to start. Um I guess it is interesting too. I don't know that anybody's ever phrased it the same way that you just did, but coming from a very different space and landing a nonprofit and looking around and realizing um that you're just so very restricted on, well gosh, everything. Um, and it stems from a lot of things. And um, you know, if, if anyone is reading uh, Dan Plot's Uncharitable book now, that's his newest, he really does the best job of explaining it. But you know, we've carried over, we've inherited this idea of what nonprofits should be, and it's very patronizing. It's a little post-colonial, um, and it's damaging to the sector in a way that really does preclude the nonprofit industry. And we are an industry now. I think, I hope I don't watch the stuff, I think it's about 12% of the workforce in the U.S. is working for an NGO. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: and we are unable to hire and retain great talent in a competitive way, in a way that for-profits do. We cannot take in funding for growth uh, or in investment in, in infrastructure or otherwise. To then have a return, a stronger return over time. We can't do that. And then you know, even those two main problems are, are having a ripple effect across each and every nonprofit, in that, you know, we we can't keep the talent that, that we need and we could have to, to have the greatest impact we know we could. And at the same time, we can't, usually we cannot hire the people who are representing the people we serve. Right. Mm-hmm. So you know, just the fact that I'm here indicates that I have some kind of privilege because we're in a space that truly limits, you know, what we can pay people, how we can reward them, you know, how you know we can incentivize them further. Then hey, you know, you're just doing a really good job. So you don't get a lot of pay, but you can feel real good about yourself. Mm-hmm. Only certain people get to do that. Only certain people have a luxury to do that. So it's not helping the causes that people are trusting us with their donor dollar to change.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. So, the way that you're kind of identifying like human resource problems in nonprofits is that we can't keep staff, which tells me people are starting work but then leaving. Um, and turnover is incredibly expensive. Yeah. You know, the great resignation was it was a conversation that was happening, like still happening maybe in a little bit of a smaller way, but is especially problematic for small to mid-sized nonprofits. We recently published an article on how nonprofits can can try to retain staff. Do you have any like tips or strategies that you implemented?
2: Yes, I do. and i, I I'm so proud of my teams and they're incredible people. And because we're still working within the structure that we don't like so much um or limited. And so there needs to be, Some other cool stuff in the environment that our team is working within to want to stay and really invest themselves and think long term. We want our people to be thinking long term, and in order to to do that, they need to know that they can be around long term. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and I want to say too, I. I feel like I've always found myself in leadership positions, but I was a really bad boss in the beginning. I don't think I. Was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so that's okay. <laughs> I, I would, and I'm I'm Gen X, and I started, you know, hiring um, some millennials and and now some Gen Z, and they've educated me in a way that has really evolved my leadership style, and I'm grateful for that. So we have flexible everything, flexible work hours. Uh, we even just recently instituted. We, it was the team that thought we weren't quite ready for a four-day work week. I was all ready to pull the trigger, but we decided we'd just start with one week a month. So every fourth Friday, we just okay. have an extra day of PTO. Um, it, we're, we're just, uh, we're fun. You know, we try, get, given the type of work we do um, and, and the heartache that just inherently is there sometimes in yeah. the kind of work that we do, it's really important that people feel mentally well otherwise. And so if that means a day or two or five away from the office outside of regular PTO, then that's what needs to happen. Just if it's a stressful phone call and somebody needs to step away, uh, we we just support all of those things because we know it's the whole person that we want to come um, to the table and work with us and, and make a change. It's the airplane mask on yourself before the other people. Um, And I, I treat all of our team that way, and they treat each other that way. And I think that's made a really big difference.
1: Hi, this is Kevin Burgess, the editor of the Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast. And I'd like to tell you about today's sponsor, DonorBox. DonorBox has a simple mission, to do everything possible to support nonprofit organizations in their efforts to make a difference. From hitting your first campaign goal to growing into a sustainable and thriving nonprofit, DonorBox makes it easy for organizations to maximize donations and attract more supporters. From charities to social impact groups to faith-based organizations, DonorBox delivers a simple, seamless donation experience for your supporters. So visit DonorBox.org to sign up with no setup or monthly fees and no contract required. That's DonorBox.org. Now let's get back to today's episode.
0: All right, Sarah. So we've alluded to a couple of the things that, that seem to be broken in the nonprofit sector. Since you've written your article, or maybe while you were writing your article, what really stood out to you is as, as one of the the couple of biggest things that need to be fixed?
2: Yeah, um the whole structure, <laughs> but specifically, I guess, within that, the way that nonprofits are are rated and scrutinized is a really big problem. I I mm, it's such a big problem that it's resulted in nonprofits have started to feel like they have to say. of your donation goes to the work because we know that you care so much about what we spend on everything else. You don't even have to worry about that. And so then that then just further perpetuates the problem and this notion that we have to be very careful and very frugal with what we spend or else what? I don't know. It's just a bad, it's a bad uh, dynamic.
0: Yeah. Um, Where did that stem from? Like society's expectations that no money is on overhead like i we can I've read a little bit about and like in I'm reading the book on charitable, and I've followed in Florida for a long time, but like he says it kind of comes back to a specific type of religion. I can't remember the name it was where calvin calvinism Yeah. Was,
2: or or John, or John Calvin was the guy who was preaching about it. It was uh the Puritans, yes,
0: yes, yes. So from like a Puritan mindset, yeah. but then. That can't be it, right? Like how has modern day society expected an organization that is operating a business that has staff that has things that they need to spend money on to not spend money but still have maximum impacts?
2: It's it's insane, isn't it? And it's especially given that in in recent decades, nonprofits are taking on really complex systemic issues Mm -hmm. so in that and in order to do that you need a a minimum you need sustainability you need to be around for a while Uh, you need experts sometimes you need scientists Um, and then we expect the the leadership of these companies to know all about that and hold this knowledge and then fundraise and by leadership I mean the board of directors whom by structure do have the highest level of say Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. For this company, and they're volunteers, and they're around for one or two or three years, and they're expected to understand all this and make the very best decision for the nonprofit within all of these restrictions. And then they have to also fundraise. Yeah, it's an unrealistic and damaging expectation of these of these people. And if you were to tell a for-profit company that they needed to work within the same structure, it would be, bananas. There's no way you can say, hey, I'm making a startup and we're going to, you know, we're going to hit 20 million over the next two years. But our big decisions are going to be made by a group of volunteers and they're going to turn over every two years also. And, and also we would need them to, you know, go and raise investment dollars for us. It, it doesn't make any sense. You can't function as a company that way. Um, wow. But at the same time, if we're looking at these charity rating websites who we have the very best of intentions. Um, and you had the CEO CEO of Charity Navigator on your show, <laughs> yeah,
1: um,
2: yeah. Um, which you know, by all definitions, is a very, very good idea. And to his, uh, in his defense, uh, I don't know if he was the CEO at the time, but the leadership of Charity Navigator, GuideStar, and I think great nonprofits released a joint letter um, about seven, eight years ago saying, "Hey, we know that we." put a lot of emphasis on what nonprofits are spending yeah. and how they treat their money, but it's not everything. You should look at other things too. And that was somewhat helpful, but it hasn't changed the scoring system at all. You know, so, you know, well aware as an organization truly beat the odds. We didn't have a big um, uh, a grant to start off. We don't have a big celebra- celebrity presence to help drive revenue and awareness. Um, I think we had probably a, chance of uh, making it as far as we have and in the early days we we were not even um we didn't qualify to be listed on the most respected charity rating uh website Mm
0: -hmm. um and so we we did years right of a tax return is that
2: well to, to have a full profile on charity navigator you have to have a million in revenue or more oh okay Mm-hmm. And then they released um, and I don't I, I'm absolutely not meaning to bash Charity Navigator. Uh, it it, it doesn't mean to do good, uh, but they released this sort of like baby basic version of Charity Navigator that was the, that allowed, <laughs> <laughs> allowed smaller nonprofits to be there, but without.
0: Uh, hey, that's what they call technology for nonprofits. The baby basic version,
2: the baby basic <laughs> That's, That's what it is. And, and, and it was sort of regarded as such, I think, internally, because it, the the baby basic uh, nonprofit wasn't didn't have any way to uh, provide documentation or send files or updates. It was just aggregating from its you know different um, digital harvesting services and, you know, well aware with our success rate and our incredible revenue trajectory over the past few years, had a failing score on Charity Navigator for a full year because of that and I, I think that's
0: that's a that's, that's
2: a pretty big bummer
0: yeah um, i mean that's gonna hit you a certain type of way
2: mm-hmm. yeah we, we i mean thankfully we had a couple of major donors reach out to us and say hey well i wasn't gonna i was gonna cut you another big check but i just saw this and it gave us the opportunity to explain wow. that but we don't know how many uh people saw it and and didn't bother to reach out you know um so that's kind of a bummer but then and then you have organizations like GuideStar, I love GuideStar, and they do have really strong metrics on impact, but it's just what you submit, right? I mean, we have a platinum rating on GuideStar, but it's just what you compile and type up and make into pretty graphs and then upload into cyberspace and and then you get a good score for that. Mm. And the thing is like now we have the opportunity to demonstrate actual impact, right? Mm. Like we could have a donor call us up and say, I would like to see a picture of that water system I paid for five years ago. And the nonprofit should be able to deliver that. Like yeah. that th- that's that's impact. So it it's not that we can't provide that now. It's just not being done. But to answer your question about why, why, why are we still doing it this way? I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was working okay, a while and for a while i I don't think there were a lot of charities who were doing big 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 stuff right so um you know like developing software to support the longevity of infrastructure on the other side of the planet nobody was doing that it was largely collecting used shoes and shipping them off uh or on a smaller scale and I'm not saying it was okay then maybe you know charities just didn't have an avenue or a platform to say this isn't working right <laughs> we just have to work within this but I think it's time I think we're we're at a moment in time um, I think people like Dan Plata and just you and I having this conversation today um, because what I've noticed when I like when I published that article um, and when I'm at conferences and I'm I'm speaking or having conversations, people consistently come up or reach out and say, "Oh my gosh, I know, right? <laughs> this is awful." Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, it's a discussion, and that's how it has to start. I I yeah. think we're enough of us are fed up enough yeah. that join forces and make it change.
0: Yeah, I've had a lot of different conversations about it, and. I still do run into people who aren't working in nonprofit who say, "Yeah, nonprofits just have to be careful what they spend on overhead." And I'm like, "Don't get me like, don't get me started on that." And like, I think you're word vomiting right now. I don't think you actually know what's happening. I think you've like taken what you've seen on media and like made it your own thoughts, but like you don't actually understand. And that's why a lot of times, I'm someone who like, unless I'm very very informed on a topic, I'm not going to contribute to the conversation because that's not. That's not beneficial. I'm not no, adding value to the conversation. I'm not going to say anything, whether or not I really truly disagree with you. To be honest, I can't even truly disagree with you if I'm uninformed, <laughs> right? No, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's, and yeah. I having this information is makes me able to better talk to people about what they're saying and how, like, do they really think that? Um, mm-hmm. And then we have a cost camp planning committee for our national nonprofit conference that is. This September 14th and 15th in Ohio. And we've been approached by Uncharitable to preview their film, the documentary that's coming out. So we, uh, we talked to the committee about it because we want them to be involved in all the decisions that are made around the conference and uh, like almost around the board. Everyone's like, yeah, of course we love the film, but you don't need to change our mind about overhead. Like Right to have this be played with our board of directors, we need to have this played with like the society. Like, yeah. can we be a medium to which it can be distributed to the audience that needs to see it?
2: Um, yeah, I guess that's so. a really good point. I will say this: I do think that, and, and Danfield is smart in this way. I, you know, if you have um, something like a, a documentary that's pretty moving it's going to be validating even if it even just for the audience that's watching, it's going to make them inspired. I just watched the trailer for that movie and I felt, Oh my gosh, like I need to do something now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. Another charismatic person. Yeah.
2: Help us rally the troops.
0: Yes. Yeah. He's incredible.
2: I can't wait for that movie.
0: Yeah. Well, um, what are some other ways that we might be able to shift society's focus and perspective from the concept of minimal overhead like you know, you reference these these writing these writing websites focused so much on that versus maximum impact.
2: Gosh, I don't know. Uh, more, more media on it. More people who have street cred already talking about it, admitting to it. It'd be really cool to see a joint letter uh, similar to what they released years ago, expressing this. You know, mm-hmm. this hasn't been working. This is how we need to see nonprofits that That would probably make a bigger splash than a than a movie. Yeah. what do you I mean don't... by admitting to? Oh gosh, I shouldn't have used that word. Um, recognizing uh, that the way that we have been viewing how, the what nonprofits and and how they're supposed to spend and what they're expected to do is incorrect. and we know mm-hmm. that now um to to and understand so I, you know ask I, people uh, to give us their money yeah you know and so it, it it's we're we're handling your money don't you want me to do what's best with it even yeah. if i can have this big huge outcome with you know 10 cents of the dollar you gave me i can have a teeny tiny outcome with 90 cents of the dollar you gave me it doesn't make any sense that you want me to spend that 90 cents it doesn't so yeah. Yeah. But I think
0: to my question, I thought, what was the word you used? Admit. I think there's actually a lot of validity there. Okay, good. Um- Me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's testing the waters. <laughs> I think there's a lot of validity there because there are like nonprofits, like their gut, their gut instinct is to not tell donors or the world that they're spending money on overhead. Um, and like to your point, like it's maybe admit isn't. Quite the right word, but like just being confident in the yeah. fact that this money is being spent here. Yeah, um, yeah fully yeah. committing, fully disclosing, like full transparency. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I know that there are still nonprofits. I mean, like there are a lot of reports out there that show, in order to like minimize what maybe the ratio of like a nonprofit's overhead is compared to other things in their organization. They will like kind of work the numbers to put certain types of expenses into different yeah. categories outside That's of raising right. or something like that. So yeah. there could be like an organization like we like we were laughing about this one like nine ninety that they raised like two hundred thousand um, dollars, but they had no fundraising expenses.
2: Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> nine nineties are funny. The yeah, <laughs> you did like you nothing, just came out of thin air. Like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's
2: wild. I know. And that's something that, you know, as, as we've grown and we have new expectations as an organization, you know, you start needing, you know, having to have an audit. Also, you got to spend like ten to $20,000 a year on an audit, but you can't yeah. spend money on anything besides programs, but you have to, but you can't. Yeah.
0: You have to. <laughs> and you have to spend time uploading all your infographics and all your data into Charity Navigator. and right. <laughs> That's, or you, you can't pay somebody to do that yeah.
2: um, but you have to yeah it it's it's wild
0: well we're gonna we're gonna end on a positive note because okay. I know both of us love nonprofit work, we wouldn't be anywhere else. um this is home for us, and we know that everyone is doing good work um and so we are here to answer your questions, inspire you to keep going, to keep achieving like well, aware has um and be be above and beyond the the success rate of of others and keep innovating. What is some good news for the nonprofit sector that you could share?
2: Good news. We have we there's there's good news. I think our our conversation today is good news. I think that this would not have been a podcast topic ten years ago. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we're moving toward a greater understanding of this problem, um, and you know, a greater need for the type of work that nonprofit does. um, I I think we are headed in a better direction. I I do. And I think donors will soon, I hope have the choice um, uh, to, to invest in something with a really, really big impact um, and not just a quick fix. And I think that that's great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me. I, I, I love, I love this. Yeah. I really appreciate getting to be on. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Um, and for those of you guys listening, please check out Sarah's article on Forbes. It is titled, Why the Nonprofit Sector is Broken and How How to Start Fixing It. Sarah, tell us again how we can get involved in the Shower Strike.
2: Yeah, Shower Strike. Well, you know, it will be done by the time. Uh, oh, I was episode <laughs> But we do it over here and it's ShowerStrike.org. Um, and then the the nonprofit website, Aware is WellAwareWorld.org. And if anybody's interested in checking out our our for-profit spinoff, it's wellbeyond.com. Yes, yes,
0: that's a great, that's a great point. Definitely take note of that. I think that's, that's a huge innovation that that you guys wanted. That's great.
2: We're excited about the future of of that. Yeah, I'll report back.
0: Cool. Yeah, maybe we'll have you on like before April next year and then we'll we'll get everyone involved in the shower strike and, and hear all of the things that you've done. I'm here for it. Yes. All right, everyone, we'll tune in next week. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us for this Nonprofit Hub Radio podcast episode. For more resources on fundraising, marketing, and all things nonprofit, be sure to check out the number one nonprofit toolbox at nonprofithub.org. We hope you'll join us next week for another episode of the Nonprofit Hub Radio Podcast.